Hello, everybody. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies that have been released online and some that haven't, featuring Bryn. And Jeremy. And today we are in the last week of Heist Month, uh, voted on by the Dark Council. If you'd like to know what the Dark Council is, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and find out they get to tell us what to watch find out how you can tell us what to watch uh this was heist month we watched the red circle and now you see me and no sudden move no sudden move <laughs> and now we're watching <laughs> <laughs> the impossible to remember no sudden move um uh, now we're watching heat finally heat I've never seen Heat. Never seen it. No, knew very little about it coming in, except that it's like a classic heist movie that people always say. Yeah. Uh, people always say that the Dark Knight ripped it off. Um, <laughs> what? Is that what they say? Yeah, I think they say that the um, the first heist from the Dark Knight feels a lot like uh, feels a lot like Heat. Okay. And I can see it. Yeah, I can sure. definitely see some of that. The first and they heist, even have, like the, yeah, when the Joker and the boys and... go in the, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Because they drive the bus through. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy and like, movie, and I have they, a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah, there's like, um, I mean, I'd say like it's more stylistic than anything, right? It's not like, I don't think anybody accuses it of like outright plagiarism, but it has a lot of heat vibes to it. Because I also think the big chase with uh, the Joker in the Mack truck uh, also has a bit of a heat sort of a feeling to it. Um, sure, yeah. But we'll we'll get there when we get there, folks. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. I don't. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of influences going on with heat uh, mm-hmm. that it takes and inspired. Uh, and we'll 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 talk about it. But before we do that. Uh, we should talk about what else we watched this week, uh, which is what we're wanting to do on this show. So, Jeremy, what else did you watch this week? Thank you for asking. Bryn, you are this welcome. week, as my continued uh, duty to the listeners and to the Dark Council, I continued my study of heist movies wow. and heist month. Amazing. Uh, by watching the 2007 American heist comedy film by... Steven Soderbergh, of course, Ocean's 13. <laughs> yeah, because you watched Ocean's 8 last week. I watched Ocean's 8 last week, and uh, I feel like I've seen 11. I, as much as like I I began this week saying I was going to treat myself and watch Ocean's 11 because I love that movie so much, but I realized I, I just like, I know it like the back of my fucking hand. Like I know everything that happens in that movie like I, yeah. I could I could close my eyes and just play that movie for myself if I wanted to. Um, whereas uh, Ocean's 13, um, I definitely didn't feel the same way about. Um, I hadn't even, I probably had seen it once or twice and uh, just had memories of it. Um, mm. And we had said last week that we were trying to... We knew that we both thought that 13 was better than 12. You said you remembered 13 being great. And I said I remembered it being good. And I'm here to report, folks, the truth is, like on South Park, somewhere in between. Um, <laughs> it's between good and great. Yeah, it's a pretty good... It's a classic. You know what? 
It's another classic Soderbergh, middle brow good time. <laughs> He's always doing those good times. He's always doing them. Uh, Ocean's those, 13, those definitely. Those fantastic sevens out of 10. It's, it's not as good as 11. Uh, however, sure. it's a pretty fucking good time. Um, and they really kind of, in this one, they really figure out like what it is that people like about Ocean's 11 and 12 and 13. Like, you know, like Ocean's 11, like people love the heist and people love the moving parts of the little scheme and whatever. But what really makes that movie tick and what really made people resonate with it is the is the chemistry between the actors, is the ro- is the the little relationships everybody has with each other and the way that everybody interacts with each other. Uh-huh. And this movie feels like more than anything else, it's like. It, it's all about that. It is a dudes rocking movie. It is all about homies hanging out. Um, so the story <laughs> yeah, of Ocean's for sure. 13, uh, for folks who haven't seen it, the story of Ocean's 13 is uh, Ruben, the financier of their scheme in Ocean's 11, um, has decided to open a new casino on the strip with his business partner, Al Pacino. And, um, Al Pacino has a bit of a reputation around town for fucking over the people he works with. And Ruben is like, Oh, but he won't do that to me. And then he does it to him. And then to boot, he uh, throws Ruben off a fucking like balcony. Ruben almost dies. He's in a coma for most of the movie. Uh, And the oceans 11 gang get together to get revenge on Al Pacino. This is not a normal heist. They don't care about the money. This is just about hurting Al Pacino as much as they can, which gives it a very interesting sort of a, uh, a flavor, you know, that you don't really get from heist movies very much, where it's like they are doing a heist and they are doing all the things that you do in a heist movie. However, the end result is just harm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty good. There's a lot of really great stuff with... Um, there's a scene where Brad Pitt... Um, is going to meet with George Clooney and uh, he comes in and he's he he looks like he's been crying and he's like have you been crying and he's like no 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 I just uh, what does he say it's some really funny like stupid thing where it's like he's like I just uh, bit a pepper and he's like <laughs> oh okay and then he like hears he's watching Oprah and he's like he's just watching Oprah and crying and he like comes in he's like with a bottle of wine open what is this <laughs> and they're just like standing there talking he's like and then they like both kind of get distracted by the screen and they just hold on this shot for like a minute and a half at least of just the two of them just watching Oprah and like starting to kind of like well up a little bit because like she's like giving away a house to somebody and like Clooney just kind of like throws in these little things where he's just like he's like you know it's not it's I mean, it's nice for the parents, but it's not even about that. (laughs) (laughs) Just really great stuff like that. Um, There's a whole little subplot where, because Ruben's in a coma, uh, Don Cheadle starts writing him letters Uh that he wants Matt Damon to read to him, but Matt Damon feels too shy to read them. And then when Ruben comes out of the coma, he reads them and he like at the end, just as a last thing is just like, Hey, Don Cheadle, by the way, thank you for those letters. Like they really helped me to heal. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That can't be true. It's just these weird little like friendship things all over the place. Um, There's also a B plot uh, that I completely forgot about. So, so part of their scheme to hurt Al Pacino is they're going to rig every game in the casino to hit jackpot at the same time. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that his money just gets drained and then they're going to like cut the power 
and like trigger a fake earthquake so that the place evacuates so that he has no time to like try to go around and get everybody to like not take their jackpots and stuff. Um, and he like gets locked in a room or some shit like that. It doesn't matter. The point is though, that uh, part of the scheme is rigging every game to, to hit Jack by the same time. And so in order to rig craps to do that, they have to make these special dice that will like be triggered by a magnet and in order to do that, they have to go to the manufacturer that makes the dice and add the metal to the plastic that makes the dice. So they send Casey Affleck's character down there uh, to get a job at the factory uh, <laughs> and mix the metal in. And we just keep cutting to this B plot where he's like at the canteen with like his coworkers, is being like the pay is is abysmal. Like, and they're speaking Spanish to each other, and he's like perfectly Spanish. And he's like, he's like, the pay is abysmal. The conditions are are awful. This is so dangerous and so bad. And they're like, yeah, but that's Mexico, bro. And then like every time we cut back, it's like escalating more and more until it's a, a full blown strike. And then they sp- they send his brother down to try to rein it in. But then like the last the next time we cut down, he's like throwing Molotov cocktails. And he's like, he's like, we're just trying to get another fifty cents an hour. It's not that much. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, it fucking rocks. And then <laughs> the the conclusion of it is like they can't do the they can't do the heist until this is done. So they're just like on hold. <laughs> they're just like, what's going on down they're just there? Wait, waiting for him to get the dice made. <laughs> yeah. So like finally, uh, you know, the brother is like, yeah, they're trying to get another fifty cents an hour, and Danny's just like, let's just fucking cut them a check. What are we crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I love George Clooney. Yeah, uh, it's very good stuff. Um, and then uh, they don't get any money at the end, right? Like they don't they, get any money at the end. They give it all to charity. Yeah, so they get, um, at some point, they're like drill breaks, and so they got to cut uh, Terry Benedict in on it. Um, that's, Terry Benedict uh, is the guy that they're trying to fuck over? No, oh, he's no. the guy who they fuck over in the first movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's Andy, Andy Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, so they cut and they get Andy Garcia in on it to like finance repairing the drill. And he's going to get cut in on it, but he also wants to hurt the guy. So he's got his own beef in it and whatever. Uh, and then he's got a little side thing where he brings in the cat burglar from Ocean's 12 to try to steal some shit from them while they're trying to steal all this other shit. It's kind of a little cockamamie when we got into that stuff. Um, don't really care too much for that. Uh, but at the end, uh, they're like, you know, they're going to bring him his cut and Danny's like, oh, well, actually the thing is we, uh, we, we donated it all to charity in your name. Uh, you're expected to go. It's, it's like a, it's like a camp for orphans. And he's like, he's like, you're joking, right? And he's like, no, you're actually expected to go up there and make an appearance next month. Uh, (laughs) they're really thankful for all that you gave them. Uh, and he's like, he's like, you think this is funny? And he's like, well, it sure as shit ain't sad as he walks out. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember yeah, I'd loving say, that, rec- that movie. Yeah, overall, I'd say, uh, you know, not it's as good fun. as 11, better than 12, pretty good time. Gets a little, gets a little ridiculous at times. Um, there's a very rapey subplot, too, that I don't feel so hot about. Um where uh, Matt Damon has to like seduce Al Pacino's um, assistant to get her distracted so that she doesn't interfere with anything that they're doing. Uh, so he has like a like a Bill Cosby routine esque like Spanish fly that he like puts on and she's just like irreparably horny for him for like the <laughs> entire movie. Wait, who? 
uh, Al, Al Pacino's uh, assistant. Oh. Um, Ellen Barkin. Yeah. So she's just like, she's just like ridiculously horny throwing herself at him. Uh, and that's, that's the joke. <laughs> um, and he <laughs> just is like, has this big fake nose on. Uh, and that's kind of funny. But yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, pretty good movie. Not the best, um, but pretty, pretty fucking fun And when time. was the last time you saw 12? 12 I watched not too long ago. I definitely remember. Okay. And you I think, think since we started the show, I've, I've watched 12. Okay. Within the last two, three years. Yeah. So that you, you think the ranking is from the bottom to the bottom. Three, the two, worst three, one. one is 12. Then I'd go 13. <laughs> then I'd go. Mm, no, I'd go 12. Then I'd go eight. Then okay. I'd go 13. Then I'd go 11. Interesting. Very, very bottom below even like dinosaur bones and shit is the original 11 that shit sucked <laughs> i'm so mad yeah, i watched we talked it about that a couple, yeah this whole heist month you've only watched ocean 11 movies uh oh, no well, that's not true i watched something else didn't there was I? one I other thing but three out of the four <laughs> three out of the four yeah it's heist month baby it's heist month baby well Bryn, what did you watch this week i watched two things um one i uh, will talk about very quickly uh are going to try to talk about this very quickly. Uh, there is a place near my house uh, called the Millennium Film Workshop, uh, which is a small, like, folding chair theater funded mm-hmm. by very artsy people like Stan Brackage. It used to be in the East Village, but they got priced out, and they moved right into my neighborhood last year. Uh, so I try to go watch the weird movies there. Uh, as often as I can. Oftentimes they're just like literally like digit like VHS paintings, basically. Like they're not really things I could talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're really like art films. Yeah, like installation. Ten minutes. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, last week there was a movie that they were showing. Uh, they had a a whole like weekend of curated th- films by uh, this company called random man um i don't know if they're a company they're like a quote-unquote vhs distributor Mm -hmm. um and they were showing this movie called bugs which was directed by an organization called life of a crap head uh okay uh, and uh it is from 2015 it's called bugs and it's um like shot on a handheld like home video camera and it's it's really weird it kind of feels like it kind of feels like a, a bunch of kids who live at an anarchist house you know like with there's like 20 people living in one brownstone or whatever mm-hmm. like they all made a movie together uh and that sounds terrible it's awful uh <laughs> it is just dreadful and it, it I, I i it's it's outsider art on like a level that is hard to describe. Like they're the premise of the movie is like, okay, I thought I was kind of going to get something pretty interesting because the movie starts outside of like a CVS and there's like all, it's just like these four huge posters of like people wearing glasses. And then they like edit the, the posters mouths to like be 
like gods like they're the gods over this city you know but it's just like literally they're just shooting the side of a building with advertisements on it from across the street and then they like cgi their mouths to like talk and it's kind of funny it starts off a little interesting and then like there is like characters go talk to those gods that exist in that country because they're bugs they're supposed to be bugs Mm -hmm. um and the characters are all wearing shirts that are white like shirts with black stripes and then a cape which is supposed to be like the under part of a bug like their cartoon bugs you know and then like their capes are supposed to be the wings but it's just like not like it's like supposed to be bad you know what i mean like it's just like it's people wearing t-shirts and a cape but they're all dressed exactly the same because they're supposed to be bugs yeah Um, i kind of hate when stuff is supposed to be bad i do too i it's like i unless it's like really (laughs) like i think the only time that i like when something is supposed to be bad is when like it's gone to great lengths not to be bad you know what i mean like i like when something is like very intricately well that's the thing put together but bad like it's not laugh addable Mm-hmm. it's it's trying to be funny it's a it's like kind of a comedy um and it's it's trying to say something because the, the there's like a whole premise where the bug garden is being like there's like a, a ruler of the bug garden who is like mm. stepping down out of power and then there's the bird country and they're like more rich and powerful and really tells you something about society. <laughs> it, that, exactly. It feels like, oh, wow, we're saying something about society. Uh, but it's just like you can't hear. Like the sound isn't that good because it's like poorly made. The So any of the like actually funny stuff that happens, it feels like somebody's like student project. But mm-hmm. because it is just like kind of ambitious it like kind of lands in this weird space where people are like whoa really interesting a lot of people worked on this it's like a crazy like outsider art but it's like it's just bad though um and i find it really odd the kind of people who like this kind because there was people there to see it and we're like i like this movie and i was just like why like (laughs) what about it do you think is good like anybody could make this I've made shit better than this. Like, do you not hold yourself to that standard of like, (laughs) (laughs) like, do you think the, cause like making the con, like the concept of a movie is not hard. Like getting a bunch of people in a room to like, that you say stuff you wrote on a paper is like bare minimum, not even that difficult. Like (laughs) if you film it on your phone or whatever, you can do that. Anybody, any idiot can do that. This isn't even like creative enough where I'm impressed with like the cardboard cutout sort of texture of it. It's just like lazy. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I hate bringing up something so uh, obscure to shit on. Like I'm not trying to like shit on somebody who gave it a good swing, but they didn't give it a good swing, and I think that's what's so weird about it is that it's like a try harder (laughs) like i mean this i as far as i can tell like this person amy lamb and john mccurley who do life of a craphead is not active uh they don't make anything anymore i'm sure they've they've moved on 
as artists or whatever. And I'm sure they're doing something more interesting or hopefully. Uh, but it's just like if you have the time and the money to do something like maybe shoot your set your sights a little bit higher <laughs> is my message to you. This this movie, I think, is on Vimeo or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know why you'd want to see it. Um, but I watched it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Hmm. If that sound, if you like like really insanely if you like dog shit, <laughs> if you like like really poorly thought out half ass like comedy, uh, maybe maybe seek it out. But you probably won't be able to. Um, the other thing I watched was a movie that was in the theater. Also, I have to say, Villa- AMC Village Seven. I've been to this theater before. It's the the AMC in the East Village. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Over by like uh, Webster, right? Yes, it's around the corner from Webster Hall. Mm-hmm. They installed in almost every theater fully reclinable, like like electrical, like mm. reclinable seats. So you just, I was lying down fully <laughs> during this movie. It was awesome. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm only going to this theater for the foreseeable future. There's no food there. It was clean. The projection and the sound was fantastic. I've I, I've complained I've about liked a lot that of theater. theater. I've I, I've been there a couple of times. And I don't remember think feeling like it was anything special, but I was just like, after complaining so much about New York City theaters, I have to shout that one out as a place I will be going. Uh, At least until it inevitably becomes also shitty. I'm sure it will, but they have a really nice chairs. It's uh, a traffic thing. <laughs> That's the problem. You know, it's it's always it's always going to come down to how much people use the thing that's when they get oh, nasty sure. well as that's why every new york city movie theater ends up sucking after a while is because there's they just, too many fucking people too many fucking people there <laughs> well hopefully they keep i mean we're on the upswing right from a very low point so maybe mm. they're invest they're trying to be like maybe we'll be different um so i'm gonna enjoy it and i'm gonna try and see every main because they're mainstream theater they only have like stuff that is in normal mm-hmm. theaters actually except for what I saw this weekend, which was called Suzume. Um, I believe it is directed by a guy named, I'm going to say his name wrong. The director of a guy who directed another movie called um, Your Name. It is an anime movie. Mm-hmm. I talked about this movie on uh, Ballin' Out this week as well. Um, go listen to Ballin' Out Super. Hey, Jeremy's check out Ballin' Out Super. <laughs> Jeremy's old podcast. And uh, this- uh, check it out in... Um- two weeks <laughs> maybe something maybe three weeks <laughs> it's two more uh before dvz is over then that'll be two weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i was on to talk about uh dragon ball z but I also mentioned what happened in your episode uh it was so good you should listen to it it's about uh goku uh saving dinosaur eggs and Chi-Chi gets invited to a party. There's no fighting at all. And also Mr. Boo uh, tries Boo to Boo is already dead. It's already over. The it's Boo over, is done. But Majin Boo, Fat Boo, is trying to buy ice cream. Nice. And it's very cute. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this movie is directed by Makoto Shinkai, um, who directed a movie that was pretty popular called Your Name in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also similarly a very... Uh, cl- I guess uh, some people criticize it for being cloying and a little like, you know, sent over sentimental mm, um, anime. No, 
<laughs> right. Uh, that was a body swap movie um, where a boy and a girl, one who lives in uh, Tokyo and one who lives in rural Japan, uh, like swap bodies uh, mm. like every other day until they oh. figure out why. It's um, fun. It's really good. Um, this is a very similar movie because it's all about saving Japan from a disaster. Um, but this one is very weird. Um, even weirder than that. This one is about she follows a mysterious boy in her rural hometown in, in Japan to an abandoned city uh, that is abandoned because of, I assume, some disaster. And there's like a door in the middle of a lake and she opens the door and it's like leads to the ever after. She can't go in there. No one can go in there. Um, but his job is to be a closer to like make sure the doors stay closed and keep them locked with a key and mm. the keystone. She awakes in the keystone, which turns into a very beautiful and adorable cat. Um, and uh, that fucks everything up. Um, and now doors all over the country are opening up and huge like uh, Princess Mononoke style worm is coming and causing huge disasters all over the country and they have to go follow the cat to close all the doors and lock them with the special key uh it's all a big metaphor for the sort of like national grieving that japan did after like the big tsunamis mm. uh and kind of maybe implying a little bit about like the national grieving over the nuclear bomb um which is a common theme, I think, because, you know, it, but it really was interesting because it, it made me feel like what if America thought about 9-11 that way, where it's just like everyone come together and like understand that like life, like death is a part of life <laughs> uh, instead of going and invading another country and killing about 100,000 people for no reason. Um, but it's a gorgeously animated movie. It's very, very beautiful. It's very cute. Um, it's very sad. Uh, her mother died and the boy gets turned into a chair that her mother made for her, like a little. Mm. So for most of the movie, it's a little girl, a cat and a like a chair that walks. Um, so very fun, imaginative, sort of Ghibli style um, kind of movie. It really can't cannot insist enough that you not say it like that. I'm going to keep saying <laughs> it's so funny to me. <laughs> it's how you say it. It's Ghibli. Uh So, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it is over the top, overly sentimental. Uh, you know, you could call it cloying, but I, I mean, we're dealing with like huge emotions about like the death of your mother as a child and grief and mm. big disasters. And I think it's warranted. Like, I think that Americans are a little a little allergic to like swelling music at this point where it's like big emotions on screen. And I, and I, I get it. Like I definitely have sometimes felt that things go over the top in a way that shuts me out of it. Uh, but I guess because it's anime, I kind of give it a pass or like I accept it cause it's a cartoon mm. and it makes me feel like I'm watching a kid's movie. Um, and I kind of am cause it's, you know, but the music, it's for babies. It's for babies, kind of. But it's not really. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's. But it's like you know, there's not a lot of swearing or anything or sexual content. The music is amazing. Uh, it's made by uh, a band called Rad Wimps. 
I thought they did an even better job than on your on your name. Um uh, really just really high quality anime movie. Uh that's sort of emotionally resonant and uh, a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Nice. I recommend it. Um okay. So let's move on to our feature presentation. This week we are watching 1995's Heat directed by Michael Mann starring just a a whole Let's go through them, shall we? <laughs> champions list starring <laughs> Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, John Voigt, Tom Sizemore, uh don't know Diane Venora. Um but John we got some Voight. more we got some we got some more names in here. Cause I we for, got I forgot who you said Natalie already. Portman. Oh, I'm going yeah. I'm just going in order here now. Uh we got William Fitchner, we got Natalie Portman, we got Tom Noonan, we got uh um Hank Azaria, Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah, he's in the movie. We've got motherfucking Henry Rollins. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, we got Tone Loke. <laughs> Tone Loke. <laughs> we got Jeremy Piven. <laughs> Ashley Judd. Uh yeah, Bud Court is in the movie. Uh, yeah. A crazy, a, a stacked cast. An uh, absolutely unlike, wild cast. Yeah. A completely wild cast. Uh, based on a true story, biggest uh, biggest uh, surprise for me for the movie was looking up the fact that it is a true story and the fa- the parts that are true are the most crazy stuff that they like had coffee before all this stuff went down. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro's characters had coffee. Um, a lot of the stuff of how it ended is real. Um, very odd that it's a true story. I did not know that about Heat. <laughs> Wait, how much of it is true? A lot of it. Like, there's simply no way that the shootout is the real. The shootout did not happen. However, could not I, possibly be real. How many people die? <laughs> well, I found out that two years after this movie that almost exact thing happened in los angeles and like 20 20 people died like there was a a, two bank robbers who loved the movie heat and they (laughs) and go off kings and they 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 had like similar if not the same guns i think they were you know they were i think they had colt 733s on them and like that uh that hk um that, that they, fucking rocks. <laughs> and then they robbed the bank and had a shootout with the police for 44 minutes. And like Ooh. civilians died and they died. It was crazy. Um, that was in 1997. I was in LA and I didn't even know. I probably did, but I didn't. Yeah, you were like it. a baby. I was 11. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I watch the news sometimes. Uh, anyway. Um, so a lot of it is true though. Uh, he was really a guy who went to Alcatraz and then got out and then the detective like kept tabs on him and they met for coffee once. Uh, and the, the dialogue in that scene is based on the conversation that they actually had because like the cop was a, a, uh, advisor on the movie. Um, and the next time they met guns were drawn very crazy. Didn't know that about this movie. Um, so why don't you go ahead and explain what the movie is about? Oh, sure. And because um, uh, it's very twisty and long, but uh, you do better at that than I yeah, do. Yeah. So, so, um, so Robert De Niro is a professional criminal. He's got a gang. Um, and that gang is Val Kilmer, his right hand man. Um, 
Tom Sizemore is uh, one of the gang members, uh, mm-hmm. and they have a, they have a couple other guys, and um, Danny Trejo is their driver, and then they've got a um, they've got a kind of a loose cannon new guy, Wayne Grow, and that's Kevin Gage. And, Never heard uh, of that guy. Yeah, they do the, their first job in the movie. The first thing we see is they like drive a truck into an armored car and just tip it over <laughs> and just take all the money out of it, which fucking rocks. That's a really great way to uh, to do a heist in a movie. I yep. love like especially seeing this back to back with Ocean's 13 is very funny, like how delicate and like fun and charming and whatever everything in Ocean's 13 is. And then like how just like just like ramshackle everything and heat is it's just like the the cleverest it gets it's like just knocking something over <laughs> well they have like special explosives yeah yeah, yeah. they have I'm, timers yeah. they're it's professionals they're yeah. professionals they <laughs> but it, they, but they not, know the response time of the lapd and whatever there's, there's no like sherlock like rube goldberg machine stuff yes. like there is in oceans 11 um but so uh, so Wayne Grow is kind of a loose cannon, and uh, he's kind of crazy. He's a maniac. And uh, so he he um, just gets pissy with one of the guys. They like so they like explode a thing, and these guys are like bleeding out their ears, and they can't hear. Right. And um, and Wayne Grow doesn't understand this, and so he tells the guy to get back, and he doesn't. He pistol whips him, and then somebody's like, "Hey, don't pistol whip that guy. He can't hear you." And then Wayne Grow freaks out and just shoots the dude. Yeah, he uh, clearly just wants to kill him. He just wants to kill him. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the other armored car guys pulls a gun so they have to shoot him too. And then the third guy, they're just like, all right, well, fuck it. I mean, we already killed two guys. Yeah, why leave, uh, a, why a, leave a, a living guy? So they kill him too. Uh, so then, um, you know, everybody's like, fuck, man, that sucked. I can't believe we killed people. We don't really like to kill people. So they're going to kill Wayne Grow because uh, he's crazy uh, mm-hmm. and it's the right thing to do. They hesitate because a cop comes. Wayne Grow gets away. Um so then we got um, Al Pacino as a detective um, with the LAPD. He's investigating the scene. They figure out what happened. They're like, damn, we're working with real pros here. Let's yeah. keep an eye on this thing. Um, and then, um, I mean, what happens? The second, the second heist is the, uh, is the precious metals. They're going to break into a precious metals place and steal a bunch of precious metals. They do a whole bunch of calculating, a whole bunch of work ahead of time. And then they get there, and the cops are waiting to sting them. Uh, yeah. And um, and and Robert De Niro is smartly like he figures out what's happening because Al Pacino is on his tail, and he's like, "We got to just go." And Val Kilmer's like, "What? Come on!" And then he's like, "No." And then no, we got bail. And then they they can't arrest them because they would just get off. And then um, because they don't want to just get them for breaking and entering, they want to get them put them away. And then um, the third heist is just a classic bank job. Um, yep. and they, they just they, go in and rob a bank and well, uh, they also uh, have installed computer system to shut off the alarms mm-hmm. so they're just like freely doing this no cops are notified and the only reason the cops do come is because somebody snitched Danny Trejo snitches uh, because they torture somebody tortures him I can't yeah, I they torture him we'll come back to this um, okay but these are the three big heists uh the the bank job um they they leave with all the money but they've been the cops have been tipped off huge ridiculous gigantic gunfight ensues Uh where like i mean bullets firing for what had to be 10 minutes of of 
screen time really it's a lo- loud, it's a long, really intense highly highly high octane uh g- gun battle yeah very classic 90s uh cop movie sort of gun battle thing happening um feels mm-hmm. very bad boys too you know <laughs> Uh, I never feels saw very that. speed like a okay. lot of these things kind of uh, come to mind uh, not just for gun battle but just like in general like the vibe of a 90s action movie feels like point breaker mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. Uh, so those are the three big pieces. Then throughout this, we have some other stuff that's happening. Um, and just to be clear, all of those came after Heat. Like this is a clearly like oh yeah 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 this Heat is an influential is... gunfight. Yes. Um, so those are the three big pieces of the movie. The other things that are happening, uh, there's a fence. Uh, John Voight. Uh, John Voight. And then um, they have a money launderer, this guy, Roger Van Zant, uh, who's played by um, that guy, fucking, what is that dude's name? William Fichtner. He's a classic, oh, yeah. classic character actor. You know him, you love him, you never remember him. Um, but we he's, love he's, he's, he's all over the place in the nineties and early two thousands in this exact kind of role where he, and he's in the first scene of the dark Knight. He's the mafia bank guy, oh, yeah. um, which kind of feels like it is an intentional nod, right? Like it has to be sure. Um, but so he's kind of the main villain of the movie. He's, he's their money launderer. Um, and, uh, He's going to he's going to launder their money for them but then uh instead he he tries to ambush them. Well, it uh, turns so that out he, that he was never going to launder the money. He was going to get them into a open area and then kill them. Right, exactly, so that he could just keep the money. Uh but then Robert De Niro uh turns the turns the tides on that uh and then so he has a revenge quest for the whole movie to kill Van Zant. Um, yep. Van Zant's bodyguard is Henry Rollins. And, <laughs> uh, so funny. <laughs> he doesn't say anything ever. He, he's not. I mean, he says like two things. He's like, "This person's on the phone," or "I'll call him on a landline," or whatever. He doesn't. Yeah. Have, but he's just like there as a. It's bodyguard. a very funny, very like. I mean, it's for for what he does to the movie. It's just like I don't. I don't know if it was worth it. You know? <laughs> yeah, get someone I don't recognize. Exactly, get somebody who's not the funniest person to put in the role. <laughs> Or at least somebody who like actually looks like he could beat someone up. Yeah, like, like Rollins is a big guy, but he's not. he's a, but he's a short guy. Yeah, like he 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 looks like he might have like some dog in him or whatever. But like he's also Henry Rollins, so yeah, he's very noticeable aging alternative icon Henry Rollins. Right. Um. Weird choice. Weird choice. Wise. But yeah, Must so be friends with somebody. So they've got a um. They've got a revenge quest to kill Van Zant, um, and uh, otherwise we get a lot of like we get a lot of family stuff. There's family stuff all over the movie. So that so yeah so basically they they kill Van Zant. They do so they do the bank job. Uh, everybody dies at the bank job. The the uh, Trejo dies. The black guy they get to drive in replacement for Trejo. He dies. Uh, Tom Sizemore dies and the other guy who I can't remember maybe one other person Val Kilmer gets shot in the shoulder and then and then Robert De Niro is alive and then basically the rest of it is him trying to get away uh, mm-hmm. that he basically is about to successfully get away with his girlfriend um, who he meets at the beginning of the movie uh, and right at the last second he's like I gotta go kill Wayne Grove for some reason. Yeah. He goes to the hotel. He just can't. A, he can't put aside the revenge. He's got to do it. He's got to 
start a huge scene. The cops have been setting up for him to come do that because they knew he would. Um, and then he basically sets off their whole trap. He has to run away. He has to abandon his girl. The whole movie he's been saying, the, mo- the, the title of the movie is taken from this phrase that his friend in prison said, which was, uh, don't... <sighs> It's like Don't never, it. never leave, ne- never live in a way where you can't uh, walk away from everything the moment the heat's around the corner. Yeah, you can't never attach yourself to something more than you can leave in 30 seconds as soon as you feel the heat coming around the corner. So Al Pacino is the heat. He sees Al Pacino coming and it's a, either get in the car with his girlfriend or run. And he chooses to run. There's a big long shootout in the airport or in the, on the airway, what do yeah. you call those, landing strips? Yeah, landing strip. Um, and uh, and then Robert De Niro is shot, and he says, I told you I'd never go back. And and that shit rocks, by the way, in a, uh, in a very 90s movie way that I feel like every time we watch a 90s movie, we'll talk about stuff like this, but like... <laughs> we um, don't get to have a bleeding out saying one last sentence and then <laughs> keeling over anymore. Well, that, but also like, I mean, we're on a location. We're really at an airport doing this. Yeah. And like you're using the stuff at the airport in really creative and fun ways. I yeah. love how they're, they're hiding behind these like big high-vis blocks um that are real airport I things i don't know what they know do what the, but they're they have there a big, they have cool holes in them and yeah, they're like yeah, checkerboard yeah. or something they're checkerboard cool. high-vis things and then uh they are being lit by the um by the the i don't know what you call those those lights that um that you put outside of the the um runway yeah, like there's like lights. a sequence of lights that they use to like to guide the airplane in and they'll turn on just for the airplane to come in. And so like there's just these short snippets of them being lit by these things and they're using that time to like go try to find each other. Um, Really cool. Really fucking cool. Uh, And then Robert De Niro, there's like this tableau of him like bleeding to death in the plane's landing and then it cuts to black. Michael Mann directed. Uh, (laughs) I will say a pretty cool movie. Pretty cool movie. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I think it does not need to be three hours long. Nope. I do not give a single shit about anything that's happening to Al Pacino's wife. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Al Pacino's (laughs) wife, Al Pacino's stepdaughter. You guys can go. Um, Val Kilmer's wife. I don't care what you're up to. I care the least about Val Kilmer's wife. Your little affair with Hank Azaria. I don't care. (laughs) Could not give a shit less. Frankly, Um, I don't even really care about De Niro's girlfriend very much. I Um, mean, okay. So by the end of the movie, I was frustrated. (laughs) I was frustrated that all that stuff was in there. By the end of the movie... Just to have the scene where he looks at Pacino, he looks at the girl, and then he runs to like... It was a little bit worth it, yes. Th- I get that one. Everyone else, fuck you. I don't need that shit. Fuck you, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I I, feel like I'm constantly uh, quoting my own letterboxed reviews here, but um, I wrote that this is a great movie about treacherous women keeping dudes from rocking. <laughs> because that's really what it is, is. It's a movie where you're constantly just like, yeah. I don't... Uh, stop it. I mean, it's, it's not about you being a woman, but n- no women <laughs> <laughs> no I, yeah because they don't they're not for anything they're yeah. literally just to represent sort of the way david chase does like another life you mm-hmm. know in the sopranos like it's about like well you could settle down and you could have a calm life that's 
Yeah. For and bitches. You know, like it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like this feminine, like the, the, the closest thing to like femininity and softness men are allowed to have is being with a woman. Yeah. My, my assessments of you as a man, Al Pacino has plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking plummeted. <laughs> the moment I saw you crying over Natalie Portman. <laughs> Um, so I think, I think the movie, let's, I'm going to go through some of the things I think is great about the movie. Uh, the movie is it beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Impeccable. Looks excellent a lot. Um, it's, there's some in the, in the heats Wikipedia there are actually maybe not even the Wikipedia. I think actually in the internet movie firearm database article <laughs> about, uh, heat, uh, which I had open a lot because there's a lot of cool guns in this movie. Mm. Um, it all looks like the same gun to me. It looks like everybody has <laughs> the um, the generic uh, assault rifle that they put on army guys. <laughs> well, cl- sort of. Uh, the Colt 733 became the M6. Um, you know, actually, I take that back. I do remember there being an AK somewhere also. I think one person has an AK. Al Pacino shoots the shoots uh tom sizemore almost killing a child uh with an fnc Mm. um which is a very different kind of thing anyway point is uh that article mentioned that that like famous shot where it's like a gun on the on the table in the foreground and then him like looking over the water is like based directly off of a painting from the 80s Mm. um there's a lot of like michael mann is really obsessed with this like what got turned into like the neon like nicholas winding reffin like hotline miami thing um which is very cool looking um but i wanted to say something about the way the movie looks and how influential it is by the way this fucking internet gun website wild this is so long (laughs) there's so many guns in this movie i didn't even realize they literally all look like the same gun to me They're just slightly different. This is my trains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're looking at the Colt Model 654 versus the Colt Model 733. You've got to be fucking joking cool. me. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, the HKs that are in this movie are pretty nice. Um, anyway, um, one thing I wanted to say about the way this movie looks is I remember having trouble as a teenager people were like, Michael Mann movies look really cool. Mm. And I had a lot of trouble understanding why anyone thought that because I, I, I had never seen heat, but I'd seen like some of thief and I'd seen, uh, the collateral and stuff like that. And I was like, I really, it's just like, I grew up in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and this just looks like Los Angeles to me. Like, like Los Angeles at night is like neon. Yeah palm trees like that's what it looks like so yeah so this is what i was gonna say is like is michael mann in this movie in particular i i don't really think i know a lot of his other stuff um you have you seen collateral have you seen i have no thief thief was his first film um he did manhunter yeah uh the the one with brian cox uh miami vice remake public enemies with johnny depp yeah, I don't think I've seen any of his other movies. That's crazy. But um, well, he's got interesting looking movies. <laughs> so I mean, at least in this movie, um, I kind of was I, I was noting how much yes, yeah, stuff looks awesome, but it looks awesome because the stuff looks awesome, right? 
And right. I think that... Um, I mean, it's like framed well. and It's, it's framed like, well, but it's it's a classic, like, it's a classic director's, like, getting in their own way sort of thing where you're like, but I want to add this and this, and I want to, like, put, you know, I have my own mise-en-scene and whatever that I'm going to yeah, do. Yeah, no. And I, I appreciate very much the chutzpah to just be like, no, this looks sick. I'm just going to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to make sure it looks... I think what, what Michael Mann really is careful to capture with his with, like, their cinematography... I don't. I don't remember exactly who shot the movie. Um, Dante Spinotti. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he. Uh, oh, it's he's a Guido a, Wapatini. He, he's <laughs> he's an Italian guy. Yeah, no uh, fucking shocking. kidding. <laughs> um, he, but he. What he's careful to do is make sure that it's shot the way it feels in real life. Like it's pretty hard, I think, to make something look dark and neon lit and bright fluorescence like there's shots of like the fluorescent like bus stop lights but it's just like this one little pillar and then everything's blue around it and then it'll be like neon in the corner like it's just like they're careful to make sure everything feels separated and accurate to how it really looks um and that does take a uh, care and and thought so i think it looks really cool i think michael mann is a really cool visual director i didn't really understand because that's what it looks like when you're there <laughs> mm-hmm. um and it didn't it took me living in new york for a while to and then going back to la to be like oh yeah this looks really different it would be hard to photograph um so well it's also just like i mean it is one of those classically hard things that you don't think of as being hard right is like to actually translate what something really looks like it's the same as like when um when people will say like an actor only plays themselves, and you're like, do you realize how hard it is to play yourself? It's fucking insane. <laughs> Even if you can it's do way harder than playing someone else. <laughs> but it's also like, if you can only, if you can like do the one thing really well, that's like way more than most people can do. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, let, let alone being Daniel day Lewis or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So I thought, I thought it looks really beautiful. The score is so cool. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised that, 1995 has like this it's all over the map there's like post rock like deaf heaven black metal sounding parts there's like uh like 90s acid uh house parts there's classical score stuff but it sounds almost like steve reich philip glassy um score is great um the story is fine the heists are fun I thought all of the action scenes were pretty good. I didn't actually love the shootout. How did you feel about that? The um the big one in L- in in the bank job or the one at the, the bank airport? one. Uh, I kind of hated it. I hated it too. I thought it was like I know it happened later <laughs> uh, after people watched Heat, but I just felt so unrealistic it's gaudy it's gaudy is what it is it's really like it's it's it feels very opulent in a way that is not appropriate yeah it comes out of nowhere how much kind of the rest of the movie like really rocks and really like is very careful and deliberate about everything and i kind of get that you're like you're supposed to be saying like oh shit this sure has gotten out of control but it never really feels like it gets out of control that much like i'd like to have seen if we were going to really be out of control it would have been nice to have seen like some more frantic like driving some more like somebody gets injured and like i mean i know that like 
Val Kilmer gets like mortally injured and they got to get him out of there. But I mean, like have somebody like fucking dragging their leg around a little bit, being like, you know, all out of breath and whatever. And they get caught somewhere. You know, it just feels like it just was like kind of very like one note. Just bit. And I mean, you know, yeah, I know no, I know you I, were I, excited I, about the guns, but I also feel as though the guns in this no, movie it's are ridiculous. too big. It's They're too fucking ridiculous. big. <laughs> They're why giants. Are they car- <laughs> why is he carrying a fucking FNC around? It's crazy. They yeah. didn't need to do that. And it's like the all the robbers have the Colts like the, uh assault rifle, you know, they have rifles. And yeah. it's like, why? What's, Why are they? What's it doing it for you? Yeah. I don't. I, I. It really feels like this is the one like Nirvana thing, to me. Like, I always reference Nirvana when I mean a really great thing that inspired mostly shit. Mm-hmm. Like Nirvana's great, but like they're responsible for Nickelback and sure. like post grunge, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like this is like the big Nirvana thing of this movie, where it's like this is this caused michael bay yes and i yes. hate it i yeah, hate yeah, yeah, yeah. it i really dislike all of it mm-hmm. and it's it's like you could have done such a more grounded interesting like public shootout like that happens but like the cops would reacting more like they would have reacted like the obviously there really was a shootout but especially at this point in time like they're going to chase you you know what I mean? Like they're not going to open fire in public generally right. uh, with that many people around. I, I just, it felt really out of character for the movie considering how grounded the rest of it was. I thought. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, th- I think, um, I think that and the, the women are the two biggest problems in the movie uh-huh. for me. Uh, um, oh, so my so I agree with that, except for one major thing. I really uh, this is not going to be popular. I think that it being De Niro and Pacino is wrong, and they're hmm. horribly miscast. No. They both do a good job, <laughs> but they are New York guys. That's true. They are New York guys, but there's no reason. I mean, LA is he's, almost all transplants. I mean, like it's, he says he's from the Bay Area. Like it's all right. He, yeah, he that's a problem. Like Nolte and Val Kilmer and Tom Sizemore and uh, you know Trejo, they have LA vibes. Like the movie mm-hmm. is a like this LA grimy thing, and Pacino is just like not an LAPD cop. Yes, he's not. And and De Niro is a New York criminal. Mm-hmm. He's an Italian guy, and it just feels like a different movie to me. Like I, I, I just felt like it felt so wrong. And they're just like clearly yeah. uncast for like stunt casting because it's cool to can, see them yeah. in the same movie. You're um, right. You're right. I think. Um, I think if I think if they could have just explained it away too, because again, it's like. It's not like L.A. is not famous yeah. for being full of transplants, you know? Of course. <laughs> like, they could have easily they been like... They could have easily just been like, yeah, I'm here from New York, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm here from New York, and he's a transfer from the NYPD, and yeah. like, it just, okay. And whatever. Like, one line of dialogue, and I would have... But even if that was the case, it just feels like... 
the incongruity between their extremely New York vibes and the rest of the movie is weird to me. And I almost wish it was a, if I almost wish they were recast. That's very funny because I do now that I'm thinking about it, I did like get through maybe half hour of the movie before I was like, Oh, this is taking place in LA. (laughs) (laughs) The, the the ocean and the, (laughs) all the streets didn't, I mean, I think it's just like, I think there was just enough screen time with De Niro and Pacino where I was just like, yeah, this is like a New York movie. (laughs) I would have loved this movie better if it was either in New York or they were LA actors. Mm -hmm. Like they were LA. Like I love the way Nolte looks. Mm -hmm. Like Nolte's whole thing is so LA. Yeah. So uh, same thing for... Not um, Nolte. I'm sorry. John Voight. (laughs) He's not... Nolte's not in this movie. I was also thinking of John Voight. (laughs) I always mix them up. But then I was going to say, um, no, uh, Val Kilmer Val uh, is also just like an incredible West Coast guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely working it right. Um, I do think, though, even though I agree with you that Al Pacino doesn't fit in an L.A. context, I think that his performance in this movie is so fucking bananas that I kind of just like, I just love it so much. Because, like, I was thinking at the beginning, I love this, like, I love the Pacino, like, you don't see a lot of good Pacino anymore <laughs> because he's so old and he's, he's such old, a hack he's over, now. Yeah, and and he's just he just does bullshit. But like like peak Pacino, like this like weird like like daisiness that he has in that first scene where he's like he's like hot shit detective where he's just like and you know what happens and he like just kind of like he's like staring off into space and like talking to nobody and just kind of like this weird like pilled out sort of vibe but then like as the movie progresses he's just getting more insane and bigger and crazier until he's like he's uh he's like uh, I mean, there's screaming. The, yeah, the she's most famous. A, yeah, the most famous ass. scene in the movie, probably, <laughs> <laughs> when he's uh, interrogating Hank Azaria, and he's like, "I don't know why," and he's like, "Cause she had a great ass." <laughs> <laughs> I see an ass. Something comes out of me. <laughs> Truly incredible. Uh, the um, you can ball my wife. <laughs> you can sit here in her fucking living room and sit on her couch, <laughs> but you cannot watch my TV set. My fucking TV set. Uh, I, I, I. It's fun. It just feels like it doesn't fit in this movie. Yeah. Like I like everything else about the movie so much, and even while De Niro is not an LA guy. His acting is so good. Mm-hmm. I love him in this movie. He it's sort of like if his character in Casino was very very competent. Mm-hmm. Um at everything and I really enjoy it. Yeah. The coffee shop scene is really good. They both do a great job. They're great actors. I'm not trying to say that they it's they're bad at It's just like it it just, uh, for some reason, Pacino, as an L.A. police officer who's like this, like it kind of, because I'm seeing this movie so late for the first time, it reminded me of uh, Willem Dafoe in The Boondock Saints. Mm. And I was just like, oh, this is where this performance came from. I hate this. Yeah. Like, what I like of a cop, if if, I'm, if I have to watch a cop, I want to see Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive, like a sort of dad, jokey, calm, like cop guy, you know, like no cop is like this, this weird, swishy, pilled out, like, 
I'm f- having a fun freaking out all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's not how cops are. <laughs> what cop is like that? Um, unless it's like bad Lieutenant with Nicholas Cage or whatever. And that's like, he's going crazy. So I don't know. I, I wasn't the hugest fan of, of his performance in this movie, but it, it is fun to watch like in a vacuum. Like those, honestly, I've, I, I guess another little criticism I have of the movie is that I was less interested in Pacino and wanted to see more of them like setting up Mm -hmm. the the heists. Like they talk about how they're disabling the, they have to go in the night before to set up these like CPUs. Like they're kind of like mumbo jumboing it over. They're saying like, we can put the boards in the security device and it'll shut down 20 minutes before you walk in the door. We don't see that though. Yeah, and I don't know why. What well, we do see is a lot of like long. Val Kilmer drilling and stuff. <laughs> oh, that's at a different place though. Yeah. Like that's the no, different but I mean, like it's yeah, that's the kind of setup that we get to see is like Val Kilmer like cutting holes in the floor and stuff. Right, and it's like okay, I want to see a little more of De Niro being competent and and doing a lot of interesting stuff, and we get more Pacino being like they know this and then we got to go do this. We got to get these people on the phone because you're going to get the, and it's like, yeah, I also, that's not the kind of stuff I'm really interested in. It felt like they were trying to do this like cat and mouse thing between, you know, Pacino and De Niro. And like, it kind of never really felt like Pacino was like in it the same way that De Niro was like De Niro's tricking them into following a fucking red herring to a container port because it's a big wide open space where you can take pictures of them. That's fucking smart stuff. Pacino just like beats somebody up and gets a fucking tip, you know, (laughs) it's like not really the same. Yeah. It's like, they're just like, they're the cops. So they have, they can do anything and have all the money and time and then like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a cat and a mouse it feels like a human with a gun shooting a mouse <laughs> <laughs> you know just like destroying their kitchen and not catching it yeah um and then finally getting it at the end uh which is you know it's fine it i think i think that i think again this movie is sort of a nirvana movie where it is really cool it has its flaws you can't call it like the best rock band in the world or whatever. It's it's a lo- it's a really cool movie. It's overly long. It's bloated. Looks great. Performances are awesome. The heists are really cool, except for the shootout, which is cool in its own way. Just it's sort of yeah, gaudy and bombastic in an annoying mm-hmm. way. Um, but it just really inspired a lot of shit that I hate yeah (laughs) and i'm glad that i'm an adult enough to like watch this movie and be like cool i enjoyed it and you should watch it but i still hate the dark knight i still don't like bad boys or any of that stupid bullshit like yeah uh yeah i think this is where heists go wrong (laughs) this Mm. is where heist movies go bad all of a sudden they had to go back and be fun with Ocean's Eleven. Well, so this 2000s. is, yeah. So, I mean, seeing these two back to back like this is a very interesting kind of point counterpoint thing where you're right. It's like, and, and I was thinking about it in terms of something you had said a couple weeks back, or I don't remember where this came from. Maybe you said it, maybe I read it somewhere, but it was like, um, uh, the idea that like Ocean's Eleven is for millennials. What heat is for Gen Xers. And it's very interesting to view oh, interesting. it through that lens where like heat does feel 
very Gen X. It feels very nihilistic. It feels very like, you know, these women are in the movie only to show how like their men's, how like being a criminal and being a cop is just like ruining lives. And it's just like tearing their families apart. And it's just like causing these dysfunctional relationships they that they can't get to, away from. They don't know what else to do. There's not, they like, there's yeah. that, that line in my, one of the best scenes in the movie was the coffee shop scene where he's like, I, I'm not good at anything else. And they're like, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do anything else. Like, they're like entertaining their ideas of like, what if I could stop? And they're like, I actually don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all so, I know. so it's like, um, so Heat is a movie about how like being a criminal and being a cop and being like being involved in this kind of sucks, but it's all you can do. And then yeah. Ocean's Eleven is a movie about how being a criminal fucking rules. And <laughs> it's like, fun because you get to fun. hang out with your boys. You and your boys chill. <laughs> nobody in nobody in the gang really seems to like. I mean, it seems like De Niro and Kilmer like each other. They're yeah. like buds. They have a special relationship. But everybody else, like, it doesn't seem like they're particularly like homies. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then whereas the, like Ocean's Eleven, you get the sense that these dudes are chilling off camera. Like when they're yeah. not, when we're not seeing them, they're hanging out. They're ordering Chinese. Yes, they're watching. They're ordering football. Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> they're hanging out, uh, and, and and the more join the crew, the more ha- our people are hanging out. That's, like, that's so a part true. Of Eating Chinese is such a big part of the Ocean's Eleven vibe. <laughs> yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas in Heat. The only time they share a meal together is this like politically charged like like diner scene where they're gonna kill a guy. <laughs> well, there's that, and then there's the scene where they all go out to dinner together, and Pacino is like monitoring oh, yeah. them from above. But it seems like they're like it's this like high society sort of thing where it's like I I don't know what we were supposed to make of that, but it definitely does not seem like anybody's like having a fun time together. I also thought that was really weird because it was like, it reminded me of the Sopranos where it's like, Oh wait, are they organized crime? Are they just a crew that like all their wives hang out together? I didn't understand that. Yeah. The kids like like, know the names of the guys that their dad works with and stuff. Yeah. But they're like at best coworkers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was the Christmas Uh, party. It was the office Christmas party. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, I I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting, beautifully shot, fun action movie. Uh, but yeah, I think it did some bad stuff to people's minds. Yes. This is responsible for boondocks. Yeah. People got heat brain (laughs) and they, uh, and they went and made bad movies. Yeah. Until Ocean's Eleven came and fixed it. They fixed heists and then but not people not enough people even made more movies like that i know i mean i guess now you see me is kind of like a good example of something that made and and like <laughs> i don't know the italian job remake sure. um there was a bit of there was a bit of heist tomfoolery that's uh, true and those movies i mean they're not great either no so we need more. We need a good new heist movie for the Gen Zers. Yes, Zoomer heist movie where they steal. <laughs> they got to steal pills or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got to rob uh, an Amazon factory. Yeah, uh, something. <laughs> All right, I recommend the movie. Yeah, I recommend it for sure. It's cool as hell. Yeah, it uh, rocks. yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, so thank you, Dark Council number four, for giving us Heist Month. This has been a great time. And what is that around the corner? The birds are twittering. <laughs> the bees are buzzing. And I have some odd feelings in my heart and mind. And I think that we might be coming out of the closet preparing for Pride Month in June. 
We're having Gay May. <laughs> I totally forgot that June is Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> well, they ordered it so that it's like kind of gay movies that end in like really gay movies. Yeah, so, so I think we're locked in now. So we could probably read off our, our schedule, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think I've put them on the schedule, but it's definitely on. The, here, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, actually, I think they um, they changed it. These fuckers, they, they changed it. They fucking changed it. I think one of these people... Uh, one of these fuckers. Changed it. So this, is, this week, uh, this month is five. So I don't think we've actually decided on the fifth. Yes, because, we have. It's going to be the birdcage. Well, I was going to vote for something else just to <laughs> give them an option. It's not happening. It's not fucking happening. We're watching the birdcage. Brynn's never seen the birdcage. I want to... <laughs> I want to submit Rocket Man as an option. Not the, happening. The, fu- the no top, chance. The top. <laughs> so the, the 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 council's movies so far are. Uh, <laughs> we're opening with a movie that isn't actually about anything gay, but it is Master and Commander uh, with Russell Crowe, and then we're doing Nightmare on Elm Street Two, which is about a man who's afraid of being gay, and then what is this? A Stranger by the Lake. Uh, which I've never heard of and I've never seen. And then I think we're doing something called Quirrell at as the last one. Quirrell. Uh, I believe Carrie changed it at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So if that's wrong, Dark Council, get at us and correct us. But I'm pretty sure the first one is locked in. So And then we're ending on the fucking birdcage. <laughs> sure. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be next month. Get ready. Prepare for Gay May. Uh and then who knows what will happen after that. Dark Council number five. That's next week. That's next week. Starting. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. This has been Generation Lost. If you'd like to hear more of our show, you can get bonus episodes and all kinds of other benefits at patreon.com slash generation loss. You can follow us on Twitter at Gen Loss Pod. You can follow us individually from there. Hang out with us in the Discord. And until next time, that's, that's movies. Let me freak the funk. Obsolete is the punk that talk more junk than several sales. I jet propel at a rate to complicate the mental state as I invade the masquerade. They couldn't fade with the clipper blade. Ten years in the trade is not enough. You can't cut it. I let you take a swing and you're butted for an easy out. I leave him seized with doubt of exceeding. My name is Booty Brown and I'm proceeding. Leading. They try to follow but they shallow and hollow. I can see right through them like an empty 40 bottle of OE. They have no key or no clue to the game at all. Now they washed up. Hung out the dry, standing looking stupid, wondering why, why man? It was the fame that they tried to get. Now they walking around talking about represent and keep it real. But I got to appeal because they existed in the fantasy when holding the steel. Goodbye, baby. Listen to your heartbeat.